Well, let's hear it for an all-time number 18. I could go a lot of ways with this, Randall. Where am I going? I'm going to Moises Alu, number 18 here of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. We've got Randall. We've got Jeremy. I am Ronan. Uh, Randall, 18, big number in Cubs history. What, what else is uh, percolating there in your head? Uh, ben Zobrist, the first Cub who comes to mind wearing number 18, not to take anything away from Sir Moises of the Gilded Hands, but Ben Zobrist probably owns the title of the best number 18 in Cubs history right now. Uh, 2008, Giovanni Soto, I would plays a close second. Jeremy, any 18s in your wheelhouse right now? Well, Soto was who I was thinking of. So, you know, he had monster rookie year, monster two years after that, or not the follow-up, but the year after that, it was another monster year. So Gio was who I was thinking in my head. The guy who played for both the Cubs and the Sox. Yeah. Yeah. Good call there. Um, one that came to mind for me, Jose Hernandez, who mm. played all over for the Cubs. Here's another name too, from 22 or so years ago, Cole Liniac, number 18. Wow. That guy, I know there's a name, Jeremy, you haven't heard in about 20 years, yeah. but it pops up here tonight. Uh, but we're happy to be back here. Another edition of behind the yellow line. Uh, not so good for the Cubs here. As of recording today, they are swept out of Cleveland. Three straight losses now for the Cubs. They are at 17 and 19 overall on the season. We'll take a look at the division. We'll talk about the uh, recaps, the Pittsburgh series, the Cleveland series. Injuries have been a problem for the Cubs right now. Basically, every position has been impacted one way or the other. We'll talk about that. We'll look ahead to a trip to Kernville. We're going to Detroit, the Cubs and the Tigers this weekend, and then Washington, a four-game set at Wrigley next week. We're going to bring things home today, too, with a new segment, Cub Killer, where uh, Randall's doing his research. He's typing away. And basically, Jeremy and I are going to throw names of players that we think were Cubs killers. And Randall's going to confirm whether or not, based on the stats, if they were, in fact, Cubs killers. So we're going to have some fun with that. Uh, We'd love to hear from you, too. We are on Twitter. If you're out there, give us a follow at uh, BTYL Podcast. You can send in potential Cubs killers. Also some trivia, if that's something you want to throw our way. Um, So a lot going on here. Um, also, I, I can't go on without saying, Randall, you sound great tonight. You're booming. Well, you know, that's what happens when I break out the nice uh, USB condenser microphone, Ronan. Only the best for behind the yellow line. Voice of well, God right there. Exactly right. Just just raining down on us. Um, unfortunately, the Cubs have been raining down losses over the last week. They're swept again out of Cleveland, a 3-2 loss yesterday, 2-1 to and 10 today. Um, Jeremy, it's been a stretch of one-run games right? Um, Nine of the last 10 have been one run games for the Cubs, seven straight. Uh, They had some luck last weekend, taking two out of three from Pittsburgh, but this week bats just haven't gotten hits when they needed them. Yeah. That's really been the story is just not the the clutch hit. I think they went two for 27. I want to say with runners in scoring position over the, uh, on the Cleveland series, which is, you know, mixed bag right there because you're not getting the hit when you have runners on, but 27, you know, opportunities with runners on having lots, they had lots of traffic. They had 20 hits over the past two days, uh, especially against Bieber. I thought they, they actually, the game yesterday, I, I was actually kind of confident after, even though it was a loss, it's like Bieber kind of struggled a little bit, but you know, that's still a legit pitcher. I thought Alzali pitched very well, um, except uh, against, you know, I mean, the, the Ramirez ball, I, I thought that was just a great piece of hitting by Ramirez, but he, Alzali made one bad pitch and seemed to uh, Hernandez, and he threw him like what, like four straight sliders in my head. I was like, you know, throw a high fastball or something. But he threw a slider right in his swing path, and he was it didn't get down enough. He was able to hit it out, and that was basically the game. Cubs hit him hard though. Uh, today, uh, you know, today actually Davies pitched pretty well. If you want to go for it, he yeah. got into a little bit of trouble at the end, but obviously a much better start that he, a good sign for what he's been doing. But once again, as we're going back to how we've talked in the past, the Cubs pitching they're not getting deep enough. Uh, fifth inning today, I think. Uh, Alzali, even as well yesterday, didn't really get deep. Um, they've had, the Cubs had opportunity. For me, honestly, today I was more annoyed by the end of the game. I mm. thought there were some bad decisions coming out of the manager in the extra inning situation. Uh, first off, just to start uh, with Vargas, I was not a big fan of the bunt in that situation, although I understood it. Um, but Krinchak was wild. James Krinchak, the, and he, you know, he's all over the place, but he was pretty wild. So to, really, and then when you get to two strikes, 
I was not a fan at all. Like I can understand the bunt, but I would have gone against it. I would have done obviously a different situation, but then two strike bunt, I hated that decision. He only threw two strikes in the entire bat and he got basically out of it with a strikeout equivalent with the bunt foul. And that was a ball. It was a high pitch. It's like when he, I feel like when Vargas is up there looking to bunt, he's not really, he's trying to get the bunt down. He's not going to take a pitch for the most part. So I, I wasn't like that. And then to me, I didn't like the decision in the bottom half of that inning. I didn't like going to Keegan Thompson there. I thought, first of all, I thought it should have been Kimbrell, number one, because I thought, you know, you have to get to the you have to get to the 11th inning. You can't save him. What's the point of saving him? If they score, game's over. So I know it was the bottom of the lineup, but I, I would have gone with Kimbrell or at least somebody, you know. And then the, my problem with King and Thompson in that spot is King and Thompson hasn't shown any ability yet in the majors, and I realize it's only been two, three games, to miss bats at all. So he, he even he, there's like after today, he had a hundred percent zone contact rate that's 100 that means 100 percent of the balls that were swung on in the zone the batter hit and a lot of balls were hit hard and i think he had like a one a two percent swing strike rate rate like he's not missing bats at all so i don't think in a spot where you have a runner on second and it's basically do or die I, i can't i'm not a fan of putting him in there where contact is so imperative that like you need a guy who's gonna get strikeouts in this situation at least, some, and it's game over. So I thought that was a bad decision by Ross. I don't get holding Craig Kimbrell there. I think you have to go because you have to play for an eleventh inning. You, if why not put your best pitcher out there, get through it. Otherwise, the game's over. So I thought today was I was disappointed today. I, I thought that it was just bad managing at the end of the game. I thought Randall was going to say something there. You know, I, I did okay. not see most of today's game being at work. It sounds like I would not have particularly enjoyed it, as is so often the case when they lose. Uh, but Jeremy said it all earlier. They were simply unable to come up with the big hit in this series. I think Ross tried to couch it as saying that one or two, one or two big hits and both of these games turned differently, which is annoying because he's A, right, and B, it still sounds like an excuse. You get all these men on base, but you can't drive but a one of them in. And again, this is this plagued the Cubs earlier in the season. They seem to pick it up. They seem to turn it around a little bit. Uh, and now they're they're back to doing this. And it was fairly similar in the Pittsburgh series as well. And two of those games were wins. So that was it lessened the impact of that a little bit. But just the same, they're, they're in another stretch here where they're not really hitting. And we said it earlier in the season, the pitching is not so good that you can get by without being able to hit. Well, I, I would say they are. I mean, with Bieber yesterday, they the Cubs put a lot of hard hit balls out there. They they had eleven hits. Um, they kind got kind of got screwed on a ball where Duffy cranked one to the right side, and there was a line drive catch uh, by the first baseman. And they were able to double off Bryant, but that ball was hit like one hundred five miles an hour, some ridiculous number, and it would have been a run. Bryant would have scored. Um, so like I, I'm not gonna say they're not hitting because I, they clearly are hitting. Um, and it's just, it's just, you know, they haven't been able to put the hit. It's just the sequencing of the hit. And I, I don't think you can take too much over two games of how the sequencing is coming. Uh, there was another situation today too, where Rizzo cranked one uh, with a runner on first. And it was, I think it was Hernandez made a, well, one of their middle infielders they have made a, a, a great jumping play to, uh, to make a catch. It basically stole a double because that was going to the gap. And the Cubs brought up like five, six batters in the inning. And they just couldn't get one across because they had like ended up getting multiple guys on. They had like three hits in the inning, but and Rizzo cranks one, and it's just it's just bad sequence. It's disappointing. It was much more disappointing today to me than yesterday because Bieber obviously was able to get out of situations. But uh, I I, w- I was hoping to split one. We didn't, so that's disappointing. Got to get to Detroit. Yeah, and it's disappointing too because you're coming off of a good week. You you take all three from the world champs. Yeah, Sunday was frustrating. You think you've got a rally in the ninth on Mother's Day. Hobby's up there, and you're getting flashbacks to 2016. They lose a one run game there. Now you lose two back to back one run games in Cleveland, and you're thinking if you if you win one of those games, you're feeling differently right now. Let alone two or all three. And with all of these games, there's the sense that it was just one inning, one ball that doesn't get caught by the first baseman on a line drive 110 miles per hour off the bat of Hayward is a three-run double down the line and and that could be the difference in these ball games they're just not getting it there and a big part of that has been injuries 
And this team has been ravaged by injuries. Guys going on the disabled list, like your starting left fielder, Jock Peterson, your starting center fielder, Ian Happ, your starting second baseman, Nico Horner. Then the day-to-day injuries that start lingering. Javi at short with back issues. Bryant this week, and I would say Bryant at third, but he's he's not playing third. He's playing everywhere. Center field, right field, third base, first base. He's been out with stomach issues, and then he got hit, and his hand it could have been way worse today. So it's like, there's a lot of injuries piling up on offense. They're missing key guys. And that's a really tough spot to be in when significant at bats are going to guys like Walters or Sogard um, Vargas. Like these guys are getting a lot of at bats and that's not a good sign for an offense that didn't have a lot of depth coming into the year. Yeah, definitely. Totally. Um, you know, getting oh, obviously Tony Walters, who we've all, mentioned a lot on the spot um I, one guy you didn't mention obviously is jake marisnik who yeah came up lame and had been playing great had been playing great and so missing his bat has been a huge factor right now um especially with half out and we'll see when half comes back but that's kind of been you know so um jock has come back and looked good so that that hopefully will take some sting out of it but uh yeah when you're getting Sogard, who i like um but he hasn't really kind of in the situations where I want him to come through a little bit, it kind of has been a little disappointing. Yesterday, there was a situation he was up, and I'm like, oh, we got so guard. I mean, I guard up. I think this is a great spot. He's a perfect guy because he hits like 320-foot fly balls all the time. I'm like, this is a perfect spot to get a run in. He grounded into a double play. So, um, hadn't really come through, though he did hit a home run, which was big, off of Bieber. But, uh, you know, so – and Vargas – Vargas hasn't been really doing it for me. I know he had a big hit the other day, but, and he scored a run today, but I feel like he's had a lot of strikeouts and a lot of key situations. So I, I, I would like Javi other guys to get a little healthy because, and we'll move on a little bit from Vargas. Yeah. And we said it all, all off season through, throughout our numerous off season episodes, this is a very thin roster. There, there's not a whole lot of depth. And, you know, when you start the season you have the, that group of players who were fighting for roster spots and they're headed to what is now AAA, what was the alternate training site. And that's kind of your first wave of reinforcements. The Cubs are through that now. And now you're potentially having to dip into guys who you didn't count on having to factor into the major league roster. For example, Nick Martini, who is one of only three outfielders on the roster right now, like on the roster, on the 26 the man roster right now is Hayward, Martini and Peterson. Bryant helped with that quite a bit. Obviously, Matt Duffy has been starting in left field, but that's that's not good. You don't want the only three listed outfielders on your active roster to be Jock Peterson, Nick Martini, and Jason Hayward. And again, the, the depth is being tested. And there are, I don't believe there are any other position players on the 40-man roster who would potentially factor in if they were to need additional reinforcements. Looking at the 40-man roster, Christopher Morrell, who's been playing some outfield at double-A, and Miguel Amaya are the only other two position players on the 40-man roster. So if the Cubs are in need of additional depth, yeah, they'll probably call up Cameron Mabin or whoever else they might need. There are some veteran infielders at Iowa. But your, your depth is being tested very heavily right now, and the Cubs don't quite have the depth to keep uh, – quality roster spots filled right now and that's coming back to bite them big time yeah i would also just like to point out that they uh i think they obviously know this because they just traded for not that i think you'd make a difference but uh trace thompson has more outfield depth a uh, former white Sox uh, and dodger uh former top prospect the white Sox, son of a uh, nba legend michael thompson but that's another name and i uh, and uh, one name i want to point out that the cubs are missing that obviously has a huge impact in my opinion is because we're getting to see how Tony Walters could play all over the place is Austin <laughs> Romine. Yeah. Uh, I think him just not being able to be around very much the entire season. I think he's only playing like three games or I don't know how many games, but um, is, is been a huge factor because it's forced the Cubs to play a guy like Walters. Yeah. And, you know, I was missing Victor Caratini today, uh, uh, hit a game winning grand slam at Coors Field, game one of a doubleheader, a game that was started by you, Darvish. And I really thought about it today. I'm like, oh, is today a sick day? Do I need to, you know, get out to the ballpark? I'm going Friday night. The Reds are in town. I'm, I'm dabbling with the idea of getting out there tomorrow. Um, so I didn't go see Darvish, but Caratini today, big bomb uh, winning that ball game, game one of the doubleheader. What do you got, Randall? And you mentioned 
Caratini as he hit that grand slam today. And that is another depth piece that the Cubs are missing as well, because Caratini was the designated backup first baseman. And he was actually very capable in that spot. He wasn't just a catcher standing there at first base, hoping for the best. He was impressive picking pitches in the dirt sometimes or balls in the dirt. Uh, and so you, your backup first baseman now is, is Chris Bryant. Uh, if you need to give Rizzo a day off or heaven forbid Rizzo gets hurt, he's due for his annual missing a week or so with the tight back at some point here. Uh, so again, the, the, your, your roster depth being tested. And right now the Cubs are not passing that test. So the Cubs uh, leave Cleveland with a couple of losses. Again, a couple of games under 500 now uh, really starting to lose traction in the division as well. Five games behind first place, St. Louis, two behind second place, Milwaukee, Cincinnati, also between the Cubs and first place. So uh, not where you want to be right now. We felt that this team needed to get off to a hot start. That's not what's happening. But the good news is it gets a little bit easier here, at least this weekend. So a day off uh, coming up here tomorrow and then Friday, Saturday and Sunday in Detroit against one of the worst teams in baseball, the Tigers. After that, you come home and four games against the Nationals, a team that is totally limping out of the gate they're five games under 500 right now so randall you get the sense here okay Six. go to detroit lost to philly tonight oh okay uh, yeah i just yeah. i was just looking here um it is an opportunity starting friday in detroit for the cubs to get hot here get themselves back up above 500 before some difficult teams come in towards the end of the month i know uh, we're just a couple weeks away from a padres series against the cubs as well a cardinals also on the docket coming up here in the next couple of weeks so it's an opportunity randall to go up to detroit and come home with some w's you know i wish i could say i was confident that they are going to do that and you know i like to think the cubs won't get their doors blown off the series, but they've also struggled with Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh hasn't been as bad as was projected, but that's still a lineup you look at and you go, who are some of these guys? And, you know, the last few years have caused me to fear rationally or irrationally that the Cubs are going to go into Detroit and struggle with a team that is not particularly good. And I, I hope they prove me wrong. Again, this is maybe my, my fan lizard brain speaking, but it, it's just the kind of concern you have when you have a team that you know is probably not particularly good and they're also not playing particularly good. So hopefully the Cubs can do, as you say, and go into Detroit this weekend and come away with the wins you need. Randall, I think you're being overly uh, negative here. Uh, <laughs> so I, with the, I, don't I, know I grant that. that. I grant I, that. I, because because I... I, look, anything can happen in baseball. You know, look at the Dodgers, as I said last week. Anything can happen in baseball. Cubs can easily – they're not a great team. They can easily lose two out of three, get swept. You know, who knows what's going to happen. But the Tigers are bad. They are really bad. And if, if the Cubs – the Cubs should be able – I'm not going to say they will, but they should be able to go in there and at least win two out of three of these games. Um, so I, I have an expectation of them to do that, obviously – Anything could happen. They can lose. Uh, but, uh, you know, even you mentioned the Pirates, but, you know, the Cubs are now what? They're uh, a game up on the Pirates in their overall series. So, you know, they did take two out of three last weekend, and they probably should have had more, uh, uh, you know, some bad mistakes there on su Sunday. And also, like, the wind was really killing the, the offense that weekend. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to bust your balls here, but I, I just think that Detroit's bad team. I'm sorry, Greg. Uh, but Detroit is a bad team. And so I think that they should be able to go and you have an opportunity with the nationals come in and even, you know, uh, they're going to play the reds uh, at home and even the Cardinals, like not a great team, but that's an opportunity right there because you could put a, a dent. If you're able to take care of business, you can put a dent into any sort of lead. So, I mean, I, I think we should be able to get through this series in Detroit. Jeremy, when you say I'm being overly negative, I don't I deny that at all. Again, um, again, that's just the, the the lizard brain of fandom speaking and having just, seen you're them. You're the guy who predicted 90 wins. So it's you know, like I so did. Crazy I did. This is that the, now they're going to get like swept, blow the doors you know, off I by don't, the Tigers. I, I don't think they're going to get swept. It's just a, a, a couple seasons now of them having trouble against teams like this, especially when you kind of need them to to go out there and play a lot better. And they haven't, uh, when you say I'm being completely negative, I don't deny that at all. And I hope, hopefully that when we reconvene for episode 19 in a week or so, you can say, Randall, I was right. And you were wrong. And I will say, Jeremy, you absolutely were. They, they did a good job I mean, in that series. I could be wrong too. You know, 
that's that's the hope. Happen once or twice. That's the hope. You you are not wrong at all. So hopefully, hopefully, uh, you will be proven correct in this instance. I agree. Hopefully, I will. It'll be the uh, Matt Merton special when we're back next time for number 19. Uh, this weekend, the Cubs, Jake Arietta, we'll see him for the first time since April 30th. Trevor Williams throws Saturday, Kyle Hendricks Sunday. Uh, Jeremy, Jake was really good up until his last start, um, a season low three and a third innings at Cincinnati. His start before that, uh, season high, six innings, eight strikeouts against Milwaukee. Uh, what do you look for from Jake coming back from this? We haven't seen him pitch here in you know over two weeks. Well, Jake blamed, uh, I don't know, what's a cut, a blister on his he thumb. He called it an, an abrasion, like a, an a abrasion. cut, basically. Yeah, he, so he blamed an abrasion on his thumb uh, last week, uh, or last time out against the Reds, where he got he kind of got beat up a little bit. He said his cutter, slider, uh, pitch, whatever you want to call it, he really couldn't really you know, get, do with it what he wanted to do because of the abrasion on his thumb. And he kind of got, you know, hit a, a little bit. Uh, I know Votto cranked one off of him. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes in Detroit now that he's back off the IL. Originally, he said he didn't think he was going to really miss a start. He thought it would heal by the time he came around. Obviously, you know, they felt differently uh, over time and put him on the IL to get more of a rest. So I guess we'll just see how that slider goes, how that cutter goes. Um, you know, if he's able to get it where he wants to place it, then uh, I expect – you know, him to pitch pretty well. Uh, the one uh, benefit, obviously, as I mentioned, is, uh, you know, I don't think Detroit has the bats that um, Cincinnati does. So I don't really think you're going to get guys that are really going to tee off on it, even if he misses a spot. But they're all major league hitters. So, um, but yeah, that's obviously the big question with Jake tomorrow or Friday. And then the Cubs home home and they get the Nationals for four. So Detroit for three, Nationals for four. Uh, something that I'm always thinking about, especially here, we had snow early in the week. It's in the 70s now here towards the end of the week in Denver. Randall, um, our buddies over at Cubs Weather have some forecasts for us here, right, for both the series in Detroit and coming back to Wrigley. Right you are, Ronan. Uh, Alexander Hall, friend of the pod, whom you can find on Twitter, at Alexander Hall and proprietor of at Cubs Weather. Nice enough to provide us with the forecast information for the upcoming series at Detroit and then the return back to Wrigley for four against the Nationals uh, next week. Uh, so the series vibe for the series at Detroit is, and I quote, Great Lakes Spring Perfection. It'll be comfortable in Detroit, low humidity. There will be uh, existing but low chances of precipitation throughout the series for the Friday game, which is a 6.10 p.m. start. You can expect partly cloudy skies, temperatures in the mid-60s and light winds. Uh, the Saturday game, which is a mid-afternoon start. There are three different start times for these games in Detroit. So the Saturday mid-afternoon at 3.10 p.m., partly cloudy temperature right around 70, again, light winds. And then Sunday, 12.10 p.m. start, third different start time of the series, um, partly to mostly cloudy, so it'll start maybe a little sunnier and then maybe cloud over a bit. Again, temperature right around 70 and again, light winds. So no major issues are expected for this series in Detroit. Sounds like the temperatures will be comfortable. Sounds like it'll be dry for the most part and hopefully the Cubs can take advantage. Coming back to Wrigley next week, it's going to be a little bit different. And Alex tells us that uh, the weather is going to try and switch gears to something that feels a little closer to mid-May in Chicago. Those of you who are in the Chicago area, you know that it's been pretty chilly the last week and it's been deceptive. You look out the window and you see blue skies, sunshine and green everything. And then you step outside and you go, damn, I probably should have brought a jacket, which is me mostly. Um, so for the Monday game, there is some chance for showers uh, at game time. It is a 640 night game at Wrigley. The lake influence will keep temperatures right around 60, so it'll be a little cooler, and the winds will be in from right field 5 to 15 miles per hour. The Tuesday game, another night game, another slight chance for showers and more lake influence, keeping those temperatures uh, this time in the upper 50s. The winds will be in from right field, uh, swinging around towards left, in from right field, out towards left center field again at five to 15. And then after that, it is going to spring itself up a little bit. For the Wednesday night game, it'll become warmer. It'll be a little bit more humid. 
another slight chance for rain. Temperatures will be in the low 70s at game time, and the winds will be blowing out to left 10 to 20 miles per hour. So that could be a hitter's night at Wrigley. And then finally, the uh, fourth game of the series, a Thursday 120 day game, another outside chance for a shower. Temperatures will be in the low 70s again and winds out to left field center field at five to 15 miles per hour. And so Alexander tells us that this series will gradually warm closer to something that feels like spring, which is nice. Uh, I, I don't mind the cold, but a little bit of spring weather would be good, too. Um, and there will potentially be chances for showers of all three, all four games of the series. So that's something to watch out for if you're heading out to one of those games. And Alexander also tells us that a complicated jet stream pattern has this mid-range forecast being a little more uncertain than usual. So you might see this forecast change for the better. You might see it change for the worse as we get closer to next week. And finally, he tells us that if the weather cooperates, the Cubs weather team will begin their annual storm chase excursion to the Great Plains on Monday. And so we wish the three individuals who run at Cubs weather uh, all the best as they uh, hopefully make that excursion. Alexander and Colin and Andrew, uh, hopefully they're able to make that uh, excursion. They're able to see some storms out there. Ronan, I know you love watching storms. You love asking us if we're watching storms. You ask us, is it storming there? Is it going to storm here? Send help. Uh, so all the best to them as they hopefully begin that excursion. And thanks as always to Alexander for contributing uh, the weather report for the next two series. Again, that's at Alexander Hall on Twitter, and you can find the Cubs weather account at Cubs weather. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, Randall right there, uh, as our friend is a little yeah, I was so amazed by Randall's vocal delivery there. It just blew me away. Um, thank you, though, Cubs weather. That's awesome. Love the context here. Also, I am so jealous of the opportunity to go and storm chase. You're right, Randall. Um, one of the great things about growing up in the Midwest are those storms that you get. And I had a couple of years living downstate in grad school. I was in normal Illinois. You saw some things in normal Illinois. There's not a lot to see when you get out of town. It's flat. And some of those storms are absolutely incredible. Um, it's been picking up a little bit here in Denver, too. We've had more precipitation than normal. So that's been exciting. But thank you for the weather forecast. And uh, Randall, I got to say something, though, unless Jeremy, do you have any thoughts on the weather there? Anything to add? Not, not really. I'll be out there Tuesday and Wednesday. So I'm glad Wednesday sounds good. Not really a fan of Tuesday being still kind of cold. Hope it doesn't rain. Yeah. And uh, obviously safe travels to them as they go and document those oh, yeah. storms. Safe travels as well. Um, I was thinking, though, I'm always thinking about business opportunities, Jeremy, with Randall. Every time he talks, I go, man, there's an opportunity here. It'd be so popular in certain places all around the world. But Randall, I think you've got a future in weather-related ASMR. Ooh. I think a lot of people, would, with that new microphone, you're booming the articulate nature in which you speak. I think weather ASMR is in your future. A little more uh, of a whisper. It needs to be a little more of a whisper. But yeah, I agree. I, I think I think really stunned, I think stunned silence and a look of confusion are in my future. But uh, you know, if someone wants to pay right there. someone someone wants to pay me uh, a princely sum. I'm I'm willing to try anything into a microphone once or twice. So Absolutely. And, and I, as his wow. agent, I uh, take 4% off the top. So you can just direct that over to me and I'll make sure to uh, take care of business on my end. Uh, we wanted to try something a little bit different here. We're not going to do Cubs trivia this time. I've got a great theme for next week. I'm, I'm already working on some questions, but we were talking about some Cubs killers. There's always players over the years from, you know, the 30s, 40s, 50s, all the way through to today that whether or not the player was a particularly great player, they always killed the Cubs. So we wanted to try something out here where um, we're picking names. We're, we're pulling them out. I did not look up the stats of any of the players that I suggested. It's just this is who I think was a Cubs killer. And we've got one from me. Uh, Randall's got one. Jeremy's got a secret one, which he would not share with us until we recorded tonight. And then we've got three fan suggestions as well. And this is something that we'll periodically do and have pop up. Um, but let me lead things off. Um, I was going a lot of different places with this. Um, honestly, the very first name that popped into my head was Billy Hamilton, of all things. That was somebody I was thinking about. But for this, we'll stay in the National League Central, and we'll go back to the good days when the Astros were also part of the division. Lance Berkman Randall is somebody who, when I hear that name, I think Cubs killers, does it stand up against the test of time? 
Well, Ronan, you know, it's fitting you mentioned Lance Berkman right after we finish our weather discussion. Lance Berkman, of course, in your that that famed August 4th, 2008 game at Wrigley, the, the famous storm game. Lance Berkman, the enduring image of him uh, hearing the thunder, seeing the lightning, hitting the deck and making a beeline for the dugout. Lance Berkman, I would say, uh, stands up to the definition of Cubs killer in 177 games in his career, which he spent uh, the majority of in the National League Central between the Astros former division opponent and the Cardinals in 177 games he hit 250 he slugged 465 in those 177 games 32 doubles 33 home runs 98 RBI uh, so maybe he didn't hit for average quite as much as you might think but he made those hits count he slugged and I would say he fits the definition of cub killer yeah a lot of home see, runs see I would I not to not to be disagreeable but I would, I, I, and I'm looking up Lance Bergman's numbers. I would not really consider him to be a cup killer in my definition of what a cup killer is. Because to me, I feel like a cup killer is a guy who's basically outperforming what they would normally do against the Cubs, or obviously it's just crushing them in huge situations. So a guy like Lance Bergman, it looks like he has like a, I think he had like an 840 some odd OPS against uh, the Cubs, where he had a, a higher OPS against the rest of the league. So to me, it's like he actually performed worse against the Cubs, even though he was still a good player just because he was a good player, but he actually performed worse against the Cubs than he did the rest of the league. So to me, it's not a Cub killer because he's not, he's not specifically killing the Cubs. He's actually performing worse. Now, Jeremy, that is, that is an excellent point. A question of where do you draw the line between Cub killer and and guy who is simply uh, very good and happened to remain pretty good against the Cubs. I think there's room for both definitions. Lance Berkman had a pretty decent major league career and he was good against the Cubs. We have some names on this list who either in reality or in perception were not particularly good hitters, but it, they either did or felt like they always managed to bring their best against the Cubs. And in fact, my name is one of those and there's some others that I have here that going forward we will present as well. Jeremy, you raise an excellent point, but uh, rest. Do you have Lance this, Berkman's numbers in front of you? I have his career. I have his career numbers against the Cubs in front of me. Oh, just the career. What was his OPS like? Uh, Eight forty three or something. Eight forty three OPS against the Cubs in his career. Yeah, because I had looked that up. Right. So rest assured that the, the list of players from which we are going to be adding and continually mining is not entirely great players who just happen to remain good against the Cubs. Yeah. There are some names on here that and he, had a, you, he had a career 943. It was a career 94, 943 hitter uh, OPS. So that's a hundred points less against the Cubs than his career numbers. Are you so, surprised that it's that much lower? I am surprised because I figured Lance Berkman, a really good hitter, hit the Cubs. So I did not really, and especially when I did not think it would be 100 points lower against the Cubs than it was against uh, his career averages. Well, this is the whole point of this exercise as well. We're going to throw out names of guys that, for whatever reason, we thought this guy killed the Cubs, and then we'll see if it holds up if if the player does or doesn't. Randall, your guy is a, a player that you in particular have hated for many, many years. Who do you got? You know, I have the former Brewers infielder Orlando Arcia, and in his own twisted, dark way, he is kind of a partial inspiration for this segment. It came about as I was thinking about Albert Pujols at his unceremonious release uh, a week ago and how he was a great player who also killed the Cubs. And it got me thinking, are there guys who it feels like just destroyed the Cubs, but then you look at the numbers and it doesn't bear that out. And in fact, when Arcia was traded to Atlanta some weeks ago, and I I waved goodbye as his plane took off from wherever and said, smell you never, uh, it was, it was uh, pointed out that he, his career numbers against the Cubs are not only not special, they're actively bad. And I thought they would have been a lot better in 75 career games against the Cubs. Orlando Arcia only hit 219. He only slugged 326. He only put together a 609 OPS. In those 75 games, he homered five times, he doubled nine times, and he drove in 23. And I'm thinking, how can that be? It feels like they were never able to get him out. And so I looked it up maybe in 2018. He had a a great year against the Cubs. Of course, the year where the Cubs won 95 games, but ended up hosting the wildcard game because the Brewers just refused to lose. And their son of a, I mean, their MVP, Christian Yelich. Uh, But no, in 2018, his numbers were not markedly better than they were in his career against the Cubs. And so this is a case where the reality does not match the perception. I could have sworn that they were simply never able to get Orlando Arcia out. 
for his career, he's been not a particularly good hitter and his career numbers against the Cubs bear that out as well. So I was actually surprised to find that. I thought they would have been uh, a fair bit higher against the Cubs for his career. I'm going to back you up here a little bit, Randall, because I feel like what you're really thinking of is that game 163 in 2018. And I think Arcia had like four hits in that game. So they really couldn't get him out in a huge spot. And so that I could kind of understand is what you're thinking as a cup killer. And in a huge spot, he did kill the Cubs. So I kind of do give a pass for that. And I do feel like some of his hits, and this is just going off of my inclination as well. So, so, so I don't, I haven't really looked it up, but I do feel like some of his hits were kind of major hits in certain situations, even though he only had a 609. So generally, yeah, was he a cup killer? I would say no, but he had a huge game against the Cubs in a very important situation. So that's obviously going to stick with you. And so, yeah, I can kind of back you up on that. I think there's another name coming from our fan section that's actually very similar to Orlando Arcia. Yeah, and we're, we will get to them in a second. But, you know, one of the things that we strive on here at Behind the Yellow Line of Baseball Podcast is transparency. And all three of us, we work together. We've got a rundown we all contribute to. We alternate hosting the show. We just try to work together as much as possible. So prior to this, we'd pitch the idea of doing this segment. Everybody wanted to participate. Jeremy was being elusive. He wouldn't tell us who his player was. He was very secretive. So the stage is all yours, Jeremy. What you've been. I like, I want to get a natural reaction. I want to get, Oh oh my God. Or wow. That was expected. Or that's just a terrible pick. Or that's a good, I want, I want the natural reaction. I don't want, I don't want you going in and thinking. So I'm going to pick a guy who, when you hear it, it's going to sound obvious because it is obvious. And a guy that I think meets most of my definitions and a guy that we all love to hate because he almost ruined everything in the world for us. And that is Rajai Davis. Whoa. That Pretty much nice. the ultimate cup killer. That is killer. a now, visceral, visceral reaction. Because not only did the guy hit the homer, which honestly looking at his World Series stats, not that great, but he hit a huge homer in a huge spot. But in my definition, he's a Cubs killer. Rajai Davis is a 690 career OPS. So not a good hitter. Now, Rajay Davis, this is regular season, obviously. Rajay Davis didn't play a lot of games against the Cubs because he was mostly an American League player. He only played 19 games against the Cubs. He only started nine games against his Cubs. But he's a 690 career OPS. Rajay Davis has an 845 OPS against the Cubs. That is 160 points higher than his normal. He has a 500 slug, a 354 OBP, a 295 batting average, and, and 19 regular season games against the Cubs. He had one homer, and I think it was like another big homer for Cleveland, like 2017 or something against the Cubs, and uh, maybe a different year. And so just a guy who, you know, killed the Cubs in a huge spot. Now, obviously, it didn't work out for the Indians. We were able to come back, but just a guy who viscerally, I think of, he just destroyed the Cubs in that spot. He played out of his mind against the Cubs for some reason the regular season. So I just got to go with Rajay Davis, like as a Cub killer. Well, Jeremy, you called it. That is a visceral reaction on the part of the two other members of this podcast. I know a, a chill, a chill down my spine. One of the other things I'll always remember about Rajay Davis is that obviously the, the home run in the World Series and then across an entire offseason where players get traded, they sign with new teams, uh, the schedule gets made. The very first player the Cubs faced in exhibition, their very first Cactus League game that following uh, spring in 2017 was against Oakland, where Rajay Davis had signed, and he led off that game. So you, you managed to traverse an entire offseason uh, forgetting about Rajay Davis, and there he is staring you in the face first thing when you get to spring training the next year. And I remember my reaction being, you again. And the one thing about that homer is like, you know how – we all had such dread in that moment. It was like an existential crisis. Like, oh my God, this is terrible. But the one thing, you know, when you're rewatching the game, you're looking back on that game is the Cubs at no point in that game did the, were the Cubs ever losing. Never. They were yeah. never losing in that game. Even that home run only made it a tie game. And you felt like it was the end of the world. You felt like it was just terrible. It was only a tie game. Yeah, and so and- at no point they were ever losing. And it started with a home run. So yeah, as soon as the game started, You're you know, you had winning. the lead. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, I'm trying to think back on it. Randall, 
you said some interesting words when that ball was hit. You and I were together for game seven. We were watching that in the same space and the words that came out of your mouth on that home run was pretty incredible. You know, I don't remember saying anything particularly profane, especially because I think your parents were in the room and I, you know, I didn't want to go down that road. I do remember <laughs> just tipping over on the couch, just completely pitching over as if somebody had pulled my plug and I, I just couldn't, couldn't stay up anymore. And then I think I remember asking how, how, how over and over again, uh, Jeremy, as you said, an existential crisis is a good, good way to put it. That, that was a, a difficult, a difficult couple minutes there. And I, I just think back to how lucky we are that the Cubs were able to overcome that because it would be, uh, it would be almost too perfect if the Cubs had been denied history from a, a career 690 OPS guy home ring in the biggest possible spot. Yeah, I had to really uh, wreck another pod, but Bill Simmons, or excuse me, Theo Epstein was on with Bill Simmons on his podcast. Not that I listened to it that often, but just because Theo was on. And he was talking about the rain delay and how, you know, we've heard it all before, but just to get Theo's whole experience on what was happening during the rain delay, I think is actually a good listen. And some other thoughts on, you know, things we've discussed about what's wrong with baseball, but that is a good listen. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm trying to remember, Jeremy, I, I made a point. I had moved to Denver uh, in 2015. I flew home just to be in the Chicago area during the World Series. If they were going to do it, I wanted to be with family. Randall, of course, Uncle Randall was in there. He was hanging out. Jeremy, I don't remember. Where were you for game seven or, or where were you at? when I was at out? I was at Sheffield's. And oh. I was there from like. So I was with my friend, uh, Scott Frankel. And his his current wife at the time girlfriend, uh, one of her friends from uh, college, I guess, or something. He got a table on the patio there at like twelve p.m., like noon. He was like there, and he was like studying for a test because I think he was in like med school or something. And he was just sat there, and we met up with him at like two p.m. And we sat there from like two until game, and it got crowded. If that patio was overrun, I don't know if that uh, – it's certainly not COVID. Uh, oh. you know, that patio was crazy, and I remember getting – and it was just nuts. And I was there on Sheffield basically from 2 p.m. until, you know, game. So oh. – or end of game. So it was an interesting experience. Yeah, it sounds like a pricey day. Yeah, in terms of ordering alcohol yeah, <laughs> in order say, to keep your seats. Day. Yeah. But uh, in fact, I, that didn't bother me. What bothered me more was how crowded it was. It was like I, you could barely move and, and I, you're sitting at like a picnic table and it was just so crowded. You couldn't even like move out. So it was very it was kind of uncomfortable, but it was fun. Yeah. Hey, and they did it. They did it. But so those so three good picks here. Berkman, who actually underperformed uh, to his career averages and things against the Cubs. Orlando Arcia Randall's pick. Jeremy with the World Series uh, pain in the ass. Rajay Davis. Uh, now some fan suggestions. I got multiple picks from all three of these people. We narrowed it down to one each. Uh, we're going to try this segment from time to time as we navigate through the year here. But we'll go old school. Uh, my dad, John, writing a good one in here. Uh, perfect, too, as we... Uh, um, we we're just talking about Jackie Robinson a couple of podcasts ago. Randall, in Jackie Robinson's Hall of Fame career, was he a Cub killer? You know, he was a player who performed very well against the Cubs. 195 games in his career against the Chicago Cubs. He hit 291. He got on base plenty at uh, 401 on base percentage. And he managed to slug 465 against the Cubs. And some of the counting stats for him here in those 195 games he was 35 out of 45 in stolen bases, 41 doubles, 12 triples, 17 home runs, and 104 RBI, again, in those 195 games against the Cubs for Jackie Robinson's career. Really good stuff there. Um, it's something to think about, too. Every time, not every time, but many times when I go to Wrigley Field, just you got to think back of the people who played in that place. Babe Ruth played in there. Uh, you know, uh, Roberto Clemente played in there. Jackie Robinson yeah. played in there and it's just so cool. It's, it's something that I'm looking forward to getting back to the ballpark here at the end of the month, Jeremy and I've got a couple tickets and games planned out and I just want to sit in there and kind of take it in. Like, man, there've been historic people in this sport that have played in this building. And what a blessing that our ballpark is the one that lasted and the one that made it after all those years. Yeah. The only ballpark left that Jackie Robinson played in. So there's, there's one uh, Jackie Robinson, obviously a great player. 
Uh, his numbers, you know, about the same from against the Cubs as against you know, the rest of the league. But, uh, you know, a great player is going to beat you up. So, you know, uh, I, he obviously should have probably had more chances to play against the Cubs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving on here, Connor, uh, uh, the guest on the podcast back in one of our first shows, uh, he goes back to a guy that Randall would have hated if he were born about 10 years earlier, Willie McGee. Randall, was Willie McGee a Cubs killer? Willie McGee, the former Major League outfielder, chiefly with St. Louis from 1982 to 1989, and again, 1996 to 1999. Willie McGee, 197 career games against the Cubs. He hit 302. Uh, He slugged 441. 39 doubles, 14 triples, 9 homers, 91 RBI against the Cubs in those 197 games. So he was another player who performed pretty well against the Cubs. It's a, a decent decent line and a, a decent number of counting stats against the Cubs for his career. Yeah, I think Willie McGee is, is definitely, you know, he he, he was going to be what? In the Sanford game, didn't he have a, a monster game? And he, they already named him the player of the game before Sandberg went off. So, uh, you know, obviously a Cardinals player, a, a Whitey player, uh, the Herzog player. Uh, so, you know, he, he outperformed his numbers a little bit against the Cubs. So, you know, good choice. All right, then we'll bring it home with another one from the 80s, another name, too, that Randall would have hated if he was around watching Will Clark. This one coming from my other brother, Sean. Randall, Will Clark, we know what he did in the playoffs, but in his career, Cub killer, yes or no? You know, not especially. And, uh, you know, a lot of the names on this list, I looked up kind of expecting them to have better career numbers. Will Clark, the former first baseman for the San Francisco Giants from 1986 to 1993. He did not do a whole lot of work against the Cubs in his career. 91 career games against the Cubs. He only hit 212. He did not particularly get on base. He did not slug only a career slugging percentage of 297 against the Cubs. He only OPS 606 against them in those 91 games, 12 doubles, three homers and 33 driven in for Will Clark in his career against the Cubs. And so I would very much say he was not a Cub killer. He did not perform especially well against them for his career. But that clause, Jeremy's clause, I think ropes him into this. I was going to say, this is kind of like the one I was alluding to with Arcia. As I said, I think we're going to allude to one in our fan section. When you're in 1989 in the NLCS, and first of all, the Cubs are, you know, their first time back since 84. Boys of Zimmer. 84 is, Boys of Zimmer. 84 is basically 50 years since they, or 40 years since they were last in the playoffs. When you hit in one series against the Cubs, 650, 682, 1200, you know, for an OPS of 1.88, uh, 1.88 is basically it. Uh, I think you could be a Cubs killer, even no matter how bad you are during the regular season, because you just destroyed the Cub fans in a huge moment. Uh, so it's like Arcia, it's like Davis a little bit. I think when you're in a huge moment and you you actually rip the fans' throats out. I, I got to give it to Will Clark, even though like basically just unloading on the Cubs and being the 1989 NLCS MVP and just you know, killing all the joy of all the Cubs fans. I, I think that's a major one to me. All right. And that that's fair. You know, that's the, the magic of fandom is you, you're constantly debating. Does one moment overcome a, a career's worth of work or vice versa? And, you know, we have a guy's career numbers over an extended career. We have his batting average, his on base, his slugging, his OPS. You know, we look at that as a tapestry. Sometimes we we put too much value on one thread in that tapestry, sometimes not enough value. And that's the the beauty of fandom combined with uh, databases like baseball reference where you can you can look at the tapestry and you can look at which threads you want to try and pull out and put value on. And that is uh, one of the beauties of fandom is you're, you're constantly balancing the numbers with the perception. You're constantly val- you're balancing the reality versus the statistics. And again, it's one of the great, sometimes awful parts of being a fan. What's your thought on that, Ronan? You, you cub killer, not cub killer. I mean, you got the one major playoff series and then a terrible career against the Cubs. 
definitely Cub Killer. The the stage, there's weight, right? Uh, doing something right. on April 2nd is not the same as the NLCS. So definitely a Cub Killer there. Uh, interesting stat reading about Will Clark, the San Francisco giant for all those years. 22 years old when he made his major league debut, Randall, or rather Jeremy, trivia question here, in the moment, in his major league debut, he had a home run off a Hall of Famer. Who did he homer offer? Trivia question, he had a home run off a Hall of Famer? Well, I'm just going to assume it's one of the guys he beat up in uh, 1989 in LCS. I don't know if I'm right, but I'm going to guess it's Greg Maddox. Nolan Ryan. 22-year-old Will Clark. Yeah, with a home run off Nolan Ryan. 26 days after his 22nd birthday in his major league. Let me ask you a trivia question. Let me ask you a trivia question. Will Clark was a college teammate of what former Cub who – is not a Hall of Famer, but could have been a Hall of Famer. Many people might argue he should be in the Hall of Fame. Kenny Lofton. No, not Kenny Lofton. No. Uh, no, no, uh, no. Timing's off cup, there. I'm going to give you – I'm going to no, no. I was just, yeah, I was going to say this Cub played – this guy started also started his career in the 80s. This Cub started his career – He's a guy that – he's a guy that people might say the Cubs made a mistake when they traded him away. Oh, okay. Um – Raphael Palmero. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. Bill Good Clark stuff. and Raphael Palmero both went to Mississippi State University. Mississippi State. Interesting. Randall, you know, there are certain teams in the National League that I'll say their name and you have this reaction, a very physical reaction. The Marlins are one. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, obviously the teams in the division you don't like Milwaukee or even Pittsburgh, St. Louis, those teams you don't like. San Francisco Giants, a team the Cubs have beaten in the playoffs in your life, obviously back in 2016. What, what do you feel when the San Francisco Giants pop up? Where do they land for you in the NL? You know, they, they don't register for me a whole lot. And had that 2016 National League Division Series gone differently, uh, my opinion would probably be, probably be very different. But courtesy of the Giants bullpen that, that season and courtesy of uh, some of the Cubs hitters, uh, I, I don't, I don't think a whole lot of, I don't think a whole lot about the giants one way or the other. Um, they're just kind of out there in the national league West. It, it doesn't look like the Cubs are apt to face them in the playoffs. Cause that would require the Cubs making the playoffs, uh, anytime soon. So I, I don't hold any particular animus against the giants, but again, had the division series in 2016 gone differently, uh, that would probably be very different. And it was one inning away potentially from having the opportunity to go differently because they would have come back to Wrigley and it would have been a Lester and Cueto rematch, which was only a one nothing game the first time around. So uh, again, in the history of the game, things can go very differently and can change the entire course of events. Fortunately for Cubs fans, uh, it didn't turn out that way and Cubs were able to win that series in advance. Also 98. Uh, uh, you got your San Francisco Giants there besides 89, uh, obviously. So, um, you know, Cubs were able to take that one, even though they tried to make it a little uh, difficult in the ninth inning. But uh, I, I agree with Randall. I, I kind of like the Giants, to be honest. I think they have an interesting team, um, interesting fan base, interesting stadium, you know, uniforms, history. I, I don't have an ill will towards the Giants. It might be if I was five years older and was more aware of the 89 series. Randall, um, before we wrap up, I've got a, a non-baseball thing I want to bring us home with. Do you have another baseball note, though, that you want to get in here? Uh, something I should have mentioned last week, and I simply forgot to. We, of course, tipped our caps to our moms for Mother's Day ahead of last week. And uh, again, uh, after the fact, I hope everybody had a wonderful and safe and healthy Mother's Day. I realized it after the fact that I should have brought it up as well. Last week was Teacher Appreciation Week uh, throughout the country. And we all know that teachers are underpaid. They are asked to do uh, far too much. And especially in this past year where they've had to do double the work in often keeping their kids uh, on, on pace, remotely, partially or completely. Um, and so I wanted to mention Teacher Appreciation Week, all the teachers out there. I know we, some of us have family who are teachers, friends, associates. You are underappreciated. You are asked to do more than you should be asked to do. And you are not uh, compensated nearly as much for it as you should be. And where would we be without the teachers in this last year? So I wanted to mention that after it occurred to me after the fact last week. That is very thoughtful, Randall. That is great. Uh, and you're, you're, 
you're a teacher of sorts. You've been busy with that in the last year. We got, you know, we got I, two. I, I am a staff two educators, staff, staff member, staff member, which uh, this 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 particular year gets me some of those perks. It's nice to have those free car washes on Wednesday. But, you know, um, vaccine hookup. Right. Yeah. You know, that's that's a big one as well. But, you know, I, I do I do. I did a, a mere fraction of what classroom teachers and other school personnel have been asked to do over the last year. So uh, hats off in every way to them for keeping it together and keeping the kids in it uh, throughout this pandemic. Ron's an educator. We got two educators here. That's right. That's right. I got uh, graded the final exams in the last day or so. I am uh, this time tomorrow. Grades will be submitted. I'll have reached out to the students. I'm done until August and I'm ready for that. It's, it's been an awesome term. It's a pretty nice perk. It is. It is. And it's nice. It'll be nice to get a little bit of a break there. And uh, very, very thoughtful though, Randall. I, I will say I've been very impressed this term with the uh, resilience of some students here. I work at the college level, so they're a little bit older, different than what you were working with, Randall. Um, but making the best of a difficult situation. And I've already gotten the, the green light. I'll be back on campus this fall. So I'll be teaching in person again with students starting in August, um, but I'm ready for a couple months of catching my breath and stepping away from that. Up All right. Speaking of important things, we don't just like the little bears, the Cubs on this show, big bears news today as well. The schedule is out Randall for next year. Um, interesting fact too, about this bear schedule, not only the extra game, of course, with the NFL season going 18 weeks. Now, this is the first time in bears history that they have a Randall loves some uh, symmetry. So this is all for you, Randall. The bears have a perfect balance of road game, home game, road game, home game. It alternates exactly all season long for the first time in the history of the Chicago Bears. So Randall, that's got to get you excited. You know, I, I did see that earlier, even without having perused the actual schedule. I did see that they were alternating road and home the entire season. And the, that is unique. NFL schedules are, of course, their own their own beast and adding the extra game this year. I'm wondering if that is a function of adding the extra game starting this year where they go uh, road home, road home, especially as it has yet to happen. But you know, things have never happened before until they do happen for the first time, and that is simply the the onward march of history. Jeremy, you're the uh, season ticket holder. Yeah, how are you feeling? I, I so we got this extra week right, and we're starting the season on September 12th. So that seems a little much to me. You know, we got we got two uh, preseason games at home. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel like you got an extra week. We should be moving things up, not pushing things back even more. I, I know it's just the way the schedule worked out this year with the September 12th, but, uh, every other, it should be interesting. I guess you, no, uh, no weeks off really, uh, obviously the bye week but you know, every week, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, every other week, there'll be a game for me. No two weeks in a row, no two weeks off. Two Sunday night games two Monday night games and Thanksgiving Thursday against the Kearns, the Lions. That'll be fun. I, I do like when the Bears play on Thanksgiving uh, and Bears-Lions is as old school as it gets. These teams have not necessarily been good in our life, but those are old franchises and it's fun to see them play on a holiday like Thanksgiving. Yeah, and I like when they play the Lions because I like when they play the early game, uh, not the later game. So uh, especially now that I'm not really going anywhere Thanksgiving. So I, I like I don't want the, you know, I like the early game against the Lions. Yeah, if you're going to be playing on Thanksgiving, much better to get that early game. You, you either spend your meal celebrating or drowning your sorrows because there's nothing worse than trying to keep track of the game while you're also trying to eat. Because You know, nobody, nobody wants the TV on at Thanksgiving dinner. So good that the Bears are the early game that way you can get it all out of the way before dinner. And it's early out here. I got to tell you, I, it, it's an early game in Chicago. It's even earlier uh, for those of us here near the mountains. Uh, also, it, just kind of thinking about the Bears, uh, I was laughing today. I, it's interesting living in Denver and being around. This is a Broncos city. This is a Broncos state. This is a Broncos media market. You put on the number one sports radio station in Denver on any day of the year, and they're talking Broncos all the time. I wish, like, there were Cubs stations like that. That's all I would listen to. But here it's all Broncos all the time. This is the first time in 29 years 
The Broncos do not get a Monday night football game and their only primetime game this season, a Thursday night game against the Browns. So a lot of people here freaking out as they come to terms with the fact that the national media not thinking too good about the Broncos right now. Well, they passed on a quarterback, you know, in the draft and uh, they got what they're starting like Teddy Bridgewater and uh, Drew Locke. So, eh. yeah. They were convinced that Aaron Rodgers was coming here. Uh, that's been the story for the last 10 days, but not the case. I uh, hope now, so. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. You know, it's been, been about two weeks since the, the story was broke that Aaron Rodgers is not happy in Green Bay. Maybe he, he doesn't like the statue they've built to him. It's the wrong color something like that. At this point, get him out of Green Bay. Like two weeks of saying he's not happy there. Get him out of there. Let's go. Let's go. What's, what's the holdup here? You know, at this point, I'm wondering if he's just so dedicated to ruining people's lives that he's going to choose to stay in Green Bay because he feels it'll piss off more people. But either way, let's go. Let's go get him out of Green Bay and make me happy or tell me that he's staying so I can resign myself to continuing to hate him. Randall, One way or the Randall, other. Let's go. He's, he's harsh on the Aaron Rodgers multiple weeks now with extreme harshness. Dedicated to ruining people's lives. I love Am I it. wrong? Am I wrong? Three Bears fans on this podcast. Am I wrong? Well, he kills our, yeah, he kills the Bears. So, you know, I, I want him to get out as much as possible. But I, off the field, I, I find him kind of likable. Just be good to see him not playing for Green Bay anymore. Um, it'd be interesting if he ended up here in Denver. Just uh, kind of fun to see them overreacting and getting angry. There's just not a lot of high hopes around that franchise right now. Um, but they've had a lot of success in the grand scheme of things in the last 15 years or so. But uh, good stuff That's here. We will years. be back. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, we will be back after the national series. So we'll check in towards the end of next week and uh, we'll kind of keep it going from there, but reach out to us. We're on Twitter, BTYL podcast, send us some notes, hashtag Randall J Sanders on that gets the crowd excited and hopefully the Cubs can get hot. They're heading to Detroit, an opportunity to get back a couple of wins and maybe come back to Wrigley field over 500. We'll be ready to talk about it next time here on behind the yellow line.